0: Welcome to the Head to Heal podcast where you'll go head over heels learning about how the body and the brain work together to either feed disease or fight it. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist and founder of the Mindful Clinic. With a background in nutrition, behavioral neuropsychology and hypnosis, I'm going to walk you through the root cause of your symptoms and disordered behaviors. The body has an innate ability to heal. No one is destined for illness and most if not all disorders can be reversed. Come with me as we develop a new understanding of how you can use your head to heal and truly thrive. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Head to Heal podcast. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist, hypnotherapist, and founder of The Mindful Clinic. Today I have a very special guest. I have Brandon from the Nutritional Paradigm. And Brandon and I actually spent a very short amount of time working at the same place called Nutopia, which is like a health positive, it's related to weight loss and obesity. And it's really just an interesting company. But we met briefly there. And then we kind of connected on Instagram. And I was just recently going through his Instagram. And I was like, wow, there's a ton of really good information here. And I know you guys are just dying to hear it because it's all about weight loss and the specific things that go on, why it's hard to lose weight, how to keep it off, how to not regain it back, et cetera. And there's a lot of stuff that I actually don't talk about in my practice. So I'm really excited to have you here, Brandon. Um, if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, how you got here, yeah, go for it.
1: Mm, thanks so much. Such a kind introduction. But uh, <laughs> it's nice seeing you again, Jordana. And and honestly, like, you're a big inspiration for me and Rage to kind of branch off leave work and actually start our own business because like we saw what you would do and you're, you're absolutely killing it. So, um, yeah. I definitely have to like shout you out there and, and especially how you do it with a family as well. Like we don't have a family, we have a dog and that's a lot, you know, let alone <laughs> so yeah, you're absolutely killing it. And you've been such a good driving force and our inspiration to branch off and do our own thing. So definitely yeah. thank you for that. Yeah yeah I guess I don't know where to start in terms of myself, you know, I think probably with my origin story, it came from just being a fat, insecure child, and oh, wow. that was my childhood, yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> hear that <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, and you know kind of looking back on it now it's it's like, okay, well, my therapy sessions when I was in elementary school consisted of pizza pops and Nutella sandwiches, followed by more video games on top of that, and you know. Seeing it now, it's like okay, that was definitely a big state of depression that we just didn't even—I didn't even understand, right? And you know, growing up kind of overweight, it led to a lot of just just negative self-body image in general, right? And I'm sure, as we all know, of course, there was a bit of bullying, but the biggest bully was always myself. So I think just kind of being able to examine the childhood in how it's kind of shaped me to who I am now. And I don't say this for, for any reason to be like, Oh, like poor you, you know, like it's, it's never in that, that scope or that respect, but it's more so like, okay, like psilocybin. I know you've, you've talked a lot about magic mushrooms and in part of the healing journey, and that's been a massive part. So that is a huge part in terms of just my own internal success. Right. Cause of course we always see success as like something that's external material rather than conquer what's going on inside. So a lot of that came through nutrition too, right? Because growing up, like, I don't know if you've ever seen like gas X, of course, like, we know, Tums, Rolades, but like anything.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. Like, honestly, I was the spokesperson for these things because I had no idea that you can eat a meal and not feel bloated or feel like shit afterwards. So Mm -hmm. after every meal as a kid, I was just like stuffing my face with these things. And, you know, I just always had gut issues growing up. So that was a big thing that's kind of led me to where I am now. I've kind of gone through the works and I'm sure with a lot of like your clientele and just, you know, people in general, we kind of see a lot of issues with fad dieting and, you know, we listen to people and it's like, okay, well, you know, fasting is the answer, or keto is the answer. And if someone speaks so confidently on our subject, you know, it's very easy for us to kind of fall into cue and be like, okay, well, this, this is the answer. He makes really good points. You know, he has conviction in his speech. And that's kind of what I fell into. And a lot of these things I would kind of if you do it long enough and you have a bit of short-term success with it, a lot of times it can really shape the identity. You know, and I'm sure you see it too, in terms of like, if we're doing keto or intermittent fasting or things like that, we can kind of be, I know I was like very defensive around these things because it worked for me. So if Mm. anyone who would speak out against it, I would kind of, you know, it was like, almost like you're hurting my identity in a sense. And I can see a lot of this was kind of ego based, but this is kind of a long winded way for me to say that I've kind of been through the works. My health journey kind of began about 10 years ago when I just stopped wanting to be sick. You know, so I was kind of like always on antibiotics. And it was a good year if I had two cycles of antibiotics. There were some where I was like taking three to four cycles per year. I would stop the midway through strep throats and tonsillitis mm-hmm. and so forth. And I just Googled one day like how to stop being sick. <laughs> so <laughs> this That's is like, like general. <laughs> yeah, this is like maybe first year university. So this is must, must have been like 2011 or something like that. And I came across like just stop eating sugar start drinking tea you know so I would like I cut out fast food I cut out pop and soda I started drinking like eight to ten cups of green tea a day and it was like my new is like the floor scrapings of Tetley you know it was it wasn't anything good but it worked you know and I lost like 30 to 40 pounds so I was I used to be like 220 pounds and for my frame that's considered obese mm. so I ended up losing a lot of weight I got addicted to it kind of found myself going through these different diets, keto, fasting, paleo, low FODMAP, low histamine, low lectin, all of this stuff to really come to the conclusion that it's all very important in balance and as we get through it, kind of more seasonal eating. So I've learned a lot through the way. Hormones definitely tanked a lot. I guess it is when we first met at Neutopia, I was really feeling a bit defeated in terms of keto, but I was still trying to hold on to it. So I don't know if you've heard me talk about it when I was there, but you know, it's, yeah, it was, it was not pretty, but yeah, that's kind of where I've gotten to now. I studied psychology and criminology in school and now it's just mainly just exploring a ton of research when it comes to nutrition. So.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. That was so relatable. And I actually had no idea that you were a fat kid at heart. Like I like love it when I interview people. <laughs> have a similar origin story, as you say, like a superhero. But yeah, it's really interesting to know that about you. And you obviously have done a lot of research. And the thing that I love that you highlighted was just like that inner work that is so important, because you're right. It's like you're really it's that inner success that breeds more success that's external. But if that inner success doesn't happen, like it's hard for you to ever reach self actualization or ever really feel good about yourself. So thank you Mm -hmm. so much for highlighting that. I have so many questions for yeah. you yeah go ahead are you gonna say something
1: no no it's like this yeah. is honestly like a lot like I I can't really talk in great confidence the way you do in terms of like you know having like like exploring hypnotherapy and food psychology and so forth but all I can really attest to is just examining your own inner world especially again through psychedelics I think the psychedelic journey has helped me greatly but it's yeah. kind of made me aware of like gurus you know beware of gurus beware of experts you know, cause it's, it's kind of coming down to who's trying to sell you something and who's actually trying to help you. So, so I think that's, yeah, a big thing yeah. to it, but yeah, yeah,
0: I love that. Okay. So you made this post and this was like what motivated me to want to book this interview. And I'm so excited to talk about this, but you made a post that was like about the drawbacks of weight loss. So do you want to just kind of highlight what are some of the drawbacks to weight loss?
1: Yeah. It's crazy because this is something that no one, no one talks about. I've never seen any content based on this, except from Joel Green, the author of The Immunity Code, who touches upon this too. And he's been a big inspiration for the research. But if you look at it, it's all there, right? And a lot of times, like, if we actually look into the research, it's like, we kind of don't want to actually, like, read it, you know? <laughs> but if we read it, we'll actually see some cool things. So first off, when we look at weight loss, we know that there's vast health benefits. You know, it's, it's, it's going to restore insulin sensitivity. It's going to start to resolve inflammation. It's going to help increase energy production. You know, we start feeling good. But what about people who, and I myself included, for constantly gaining and losing, gaining and losing the weight cycling in general? Mm -hmm. So to kind of understand some of the negatives with weight loss, we definitely have to look at weight cycling as an issue. And one of the biggest stats that we'll see is that 90% of us will regain the weight that we lost within five years. And it's not necessarily like a big response I have to this is, okay, well, you know, I did keto, it worked. And then I fell off and started eating pizza again. Well, there's actually like immune mechanisms that are happening in your body because the body doesn't necessarily want to lose weight. And this is where we come down to looking at say a cell that we, just like a, a regular cell in our body that we see and learn about in our high school textbooks in biology. We see the nucleus is right at the center just because it wants to be protected. It needs to be protected. But if you look at an image and you just Google, say, adipose tissue in a fat cell, the nucleus is on the outer edge. So it's more susceptible to damage. So then you got to think like, okay, like how does the fat cell then protect itself? So it has an exoskeleton. So our mm-hmm. fat tissue, it's kind of like this, this flexible kind of stiff web at the same time that surrounds your fat. And this exoskeleton is called the extracellular matrix. So it's the ECM for short. And what it looks like, I'm not too sure if, if you've ever seen or eaten natto, you know, like yeah. the fermented soybeans. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it's exactly like that. It kind of looks like this, like you lift it up, it has like these webbings. But the thing is, is that those webs and where they connect to the actual fat cell itself contain these little proteins. And these proteins are there to track tension. So they will sense traction stress and tension and friction. And what happens in that case is that we start to recruit different inflammatory signals. And one in particular is called interleukin-1B. So it's inflammatory cytokine that we definitely don't Mm -hmm. want too much of or at all. So what happens is that if we picture these fat cells shrinking to about half, then that web is, they're physically tearing away from the ECM. They're physically pulling away. And what happens is we recruit more inflammatory signals. This is a micro injury, like fat loss is a micro injury to the body, right? And we can tell that too, because of the inflammatory kind of cascades that come afterwards. So another thing to to kind of understand with the ECM is that if we have any form of traction stress, So if that physical act of tearing away from that exoskeleton, you're going to be producing more heat shock proteins. So we start to see an excess of heat shock protein, 27, 60, and 70, all within your fat mass. And this is a clear sign that this is an injury. So this is Mm -hmm. when heat shock proteins, we don't want too much of, right? So it's best to avoid, say, the sauna post fat loss for this reason, because you don't want excess fat heat shock proteins. And the reason being is because if you look at kind of what they're doing, like heat shock protein 60, for example, will directly cause mitochondrial dysfunction in excess. Mm. So with this, like, again, like one of the ways to fix it is kind of getting down to lowering interleukin 1B and how can we kind of suppress that? And we can do so with what's called like adiponectin. And adiponectin is a insulin sensitizing hormone, but it also directly opposes interleukin 1B. So there's a few things that we can do with this with. You can do this with like a little bit of high fat feeding once in a while. Like some I'd say walnuts are very good for this and fatty fish like salmon and avocados and all of these good foods. Really good to suppress that. You can use various supplements. Fucoidin is a good one to look at as well. Which one? Uh, Fucoidin. So I don't F-U-C- Yeah, F-U-C-I-O-D-A-N. It's a polysaccharide like a fiber that's found in the cell wall of seaweed and this is just fantastic at lowering inflammation especially within the gut and within our adipose tissue but i think kind of before getting into that too one of the biggest things that we see with fat loss is what's called like the stiffening of the ecm Mm. so if we think about it like the first time we lose weight it's always a success like the first time you always try and I think this is what a lot of diet books are founded on, right? It worked for me once, so it must work again. But unfortunately, you do things again the next time, it doesn't work as well. The third time, maybe not even at all, right? Till the fourth and fifth time. The same works with losing weight, right? So as we get older, the ECM can stiffen, especially if we're like a repeated weight cycler. One of the things too that happens after fat loss is that sheer separation from the ECM from the fat cell you're upregulating different collagen fibers and collagen, as we know, there's so many different types of it, but we see it as only a good thing, right? We take collagen, it's good for our hair, our nails, our skin, but it's just so much more complex than that. And, And collagen actually acts as like a signal beacon. They control vast power over signal mediation within the body. So what's happening is that that constant kind of weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, weight loss is, attributing to recruiting more of these type six collagen fibers into your fat. And this is what results in terms of stiffening. So if you, I have some, some diagrams, I'll can send you them later. And it shows that it's kind of depicted as these red kind of lines that happens through the stressing of the ECM and they're recruited by inflammatory measures. So there's one in particular, it's called collagen 6A3, if anyone wants to kind of look into the research. And what it does is it recruits endotropin. And if you're recruiting endotropin, endotropin is a major cancer progenitor. So Mm -hmm. this isn't for everyone, right? Because the thing is, is that, you know, everyone reacts very differently. We have different genetic SNPs, but this I would say is definitely for the masses and in majority. So yeah, we're definitely starting to see definitely an increased cancer risk when it comes to that constant weight cycling. So it's definitely something to kind (laughs) of keep in mind, which is not to rain on the parade of anything, but we just have to kind of look at. What's actually true in body fat is not just stored energy. You know, it's not just like, hey, we can cut our calories down. We lose body fat and it's end of story. Well, how can we kind of attribute for weight regain? How can we kind of offset these negative effects and so forth? So there's just so much at play and body fat is just so complex. And I think we definitely take it for granted as something that we just want off of our body at all times. So.
0: Yeah. Well, this is like low key in my mind. I was like, well, I like, I'm really, really I love research, obviously, but I, yeah, I haven't heard many of the things that you said, but I will attest to that. And I can especially tell you from where I'm sitting now, like from every one of my clients has a very similar thing. Like they've all lost weight, regained it m- multiple times. Like you're not going to seek out help like mine. If you're just like starting your weight loss journey and you've never tried a diet before. Like most of them have lost and regained the weight over and over and over again. And they're just finding like, now it's stubborn. Now it's not want, like I I can't get it off. Or now I have all these other health problems. And so, and actually too, like through, I've lost weight and regained it so many times in my life. And after this pregnancy, I'm like, you know, I'm doing everything right. And it's still really, really difficult. And it does feel like there's Mm -hmm. resistance there. Like in my body, like my body feels inflamed all the time. And like, I'm exercising three times, usually every day, but like high intensity exercise, at least three times a week. I'm eating really healthy, like it doesn't really make sense. But it, now as you're describing these inflammatory signals, and the way that the the extracellular matrix becomes more like, not fibrous, but like tense, it makes total sense. And I actually feel that physically.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But I think with what you're doing too, you, you address such a key part to it all. And it's the mindset and how we view food in general. And I think this is like, it's like, how can we actually combine the two? Because the two, you, you don't want to be like, what I find is that if I'm constantly researching things, I'm just in there, like inherently less creative. Like I go through this kind of rabbit hole of scientific reductionism and then it, everything's reduced to like this little thing. And then I see like it comes out in conversation with like friends or something. And they're just like, what are you talking about? You know, like, like what's going on, you know, but it's, I think there is a huge balance between that reductionistic nature and our mysticism. And it's like finding that balance between the two. And I just watched like a video of yours the other day and it was saying like how cheap meals are kind of opposing, you know, our success in a sense, right? Like we're, it's kind of redundant and, you know, it's a good point. It's a good point for what we do. And I think it's because we don't see food as like that experience, right? And there's that massive mind-body connection, right? And I would think growing up, I was the exact example of the nocebo effect. Like that is me to a T, just telling myself, oh, this isn't going to work. Nothing's good for me and self-sabotage, blah, 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 right? And then. It just kind of spins out of control from there. But I think from what we're seeing, especially with with working together at Newtopia and, and seeing a lot with like American clients as well, is that you know we we're up against corporations trying to sell us shit that we don't need and food that just doesn't work for us. That is biologically engineered to make us crave, and you know it, it just feeds the wrong bacteria, and, and just really overall hurts us so I definitely think there's kind of a balance between that like psychological aspect um, and that you know biological aspect which I'm not a good that great with the psychological piece yet but <laughs> but no so I'm learning from you so
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and that's exactly the way that we like run shit at the mindful clinic it has to be a combination of the two but you made some pretty good points that I just want to kind of dig a little deeper so you were saying that you know you said it, it one step further now, how do we not regain the weight back? So do you want to talk a little bit to like what that looks like and what are some recommendations you might have?
1: Hmm. So one of the biggest things I would say is when you have the stiffening of the ECM, one of the key things that we note that's going to work for this is something called mechanotransduction. Okay. And to understand this, it's to understand the way things move, like proteins move within the body and they move either biochemically or biomechanically. Yeah. So think about like the body keeps the score. Right. You you any trauma that you can't actually process kind of comes back into your body and it stays there. Right. Your muscles are maybe just compartments to hold on to all their shit. So the same kind of goes for the ECM. So you know a lot of times if we're, we we may seek in this case like uh, deep tissue massage, maybe dance therapy or yoga, anything to kind of release this. Well, the same can be true for the ECM as in physical force can actually start to alter and allow the ECM to adapt post-fat loss. Mm. So there's a couple of things that we can do. Like you can use a massage gun. You can use like your own hands and physical force, especially on those areas that we lost the most weight. And I know it may sound, sometimes I I say this, it kind of sounds like a little bit woo-woo like in terms of the science, but there's really good research to support this. And, and you can combine that with cold exposure, you can combine that with, you know, just even just taking like, I don't know, have you seen those like ice fests and stuff like that too? Yeah. You know, things to kind of like combine that with cardio and if we're kind of focusing on what's called like fat beijing and fat browning, yeah, right? Yeah. To try to convert that excess kind of white fat into usable, more energy dense fat that's kind of what we want to be doing. But it's not to say cold exposure is the answer. But if we're doing it for like one, two times a week, post cold exposure, you're doing that with mechanical massage, then you're definitely helping just move these things around properly or or seeking like, you know, physical tension with your hands, whatever you're going to be doing. So that's definitely one way to help. I'm just trying to think in terms of food product protocols as well. We definitely want to be spinning down a lot of, These inflammatory cytokines. Mm -hmm. So, weightlifting, strength training, exercise, you definitely want to save that for your post fat loss window. To get the fat off and stuff, like you can physically force it off with exercise, but we want to do a combination of kind of gut bacteria, like reinforcing good gut bacteria, and just doing more food protocols to get the weight off. And then exercise is really going to help prevent weight regain.
0: So, you mentioned this like fat loss window. Like, can you tell me a little bit more? Like, what is that window?
1: however long it takes for you to lose the fat so and it depends right i'm not talking about like 2 3 pounds like this would be a significant weight loss so yeah. fat loss usually comes like if we see it it usually comes in bursts and typically we can see it come within like 4 week periods and then we hit a plateau right yeah. um, so maybe if we bunch it within 4 week periods like hey i'm going to make a push for fat loss maybe it's 2 to 4 weeks and again we want to do this the healthy way we don't want to restrict and and you know count calories and and stuff like that but well, I'm not really for that. But yeah, that's what I would kind of say is like that fat loss window. And then the post fat loss window typically occurs for about four to 12 months after fat loss. That's when we start to see the survival mechanisms come in. And that will start to kind of in turn, have the pendulum swing back the other direction. Right. So now the body's like, you know, shit, we need to survive. Like, we don't want to lose this body fat. So let's start to swing it back. So I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So just to like clarify, you want to work with bacteria, which we're going to talk about in a moment, and then also like food, and it might take a bit longer, but like we want to do it gradually to lose the weight. And then in that four to 12 month window after that, that's when we want to work in things like exercise, the cold therapy, the massage. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's definitely really important, I would say. And, And there's little things too, in that window, I would say, try to avoid the sauna. I know there's a lot of good research, especially from like, say, Rhonda Patrick and stuff. But again, we don't want excess heat shock proteins in your fat mass. So I would try to kind of keep that at bay and try to do more cold exposure, but not overdoing that either. Because again, everything has its duality, like absolutely everything. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah it's, I'm like giving you the funniest face because I'm like, my infrared sauna is like my life. <laughs> like I like, I love my sauna. But like, it, this actually just makes so much sense. And so, yeah, I definitely am going to have to like rethink the way that I approach this. Uh-huh.
1: Well, this is definitely <laughs> um, like, yeah. yeah, really good, really good shit, but it's, it's uh, never I'd to like say made, the song is bad, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I yeah, know. I know. I like made my clients buy the sauna. I'm like, so good. You need it. I'm so sorry if you're listening guys. Absolutely so, love
1: one. So <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay. So you talked about the bacteria. Now, how does bacteria control weight loss?
1: That's a really loaded question, and I hope you have time for me to rant and ramble. I have so
0: much time. I hope that's okay. Yes.
1: The reason I feel super passionate about this is because I was looking for so many damn searches. Like, I was on the hunt for so long trying to fix my gut, and I was doing FODMAP, which is, in my opinion, the worst diet protocol known to man. It's not to say it doesn't work. Yeah. But the fact that I could only eat like six almonds and, you know, like things that will cause like, you know, over fermentation in the gut. So, I really had it bad. I gave myself SIBO listening to marketers and various health gurus talk about how probiotics are the answer, but unfortunately it doesn't work that way. And I would say I gave myself SIBO from extensive use of probiotics. So that we have to be definitely careful of. It all starts, it's like kind of getting back to how did it all begin, right? And you see a child and typically, of course, if they're breastfed, their energy levels throughout their, their childhood are just insane. I'm sure, you know, this too, like, you know, for the most part, like when I grew up, like I can eat hot dogs and chips and cookies and candy, be off the walls of energy. We, we call it a sugar high, which is definitely untrue, but it's just, it's, it's this results of bifidobacteria, right? Like we have so much energy throughout the day. We can digest whatever we want, stay lean and have these 12 hours sleeps. And one of the biggest things that we kind of look at, and especially for myself too, it's like, okay, why would I have these problems with bacteria? And you look back to it, and, and one of the biggest things is, is being a C-section baby. This is to show that your microbiome isn't actually going to be the best throughout your life, right? People who are C-sections typically have more problems with IBS and have more problems with, with food allergies and sensitivities, seasonal allergies, and it all has to do with the microbiome. And especially if you start to develop IBS early on in life, you're going to just continue to harvest dysbiotic bacteria throughout your life, making it more difficult for you to lose it in the future. Maybe if you're not a C-section baby, and maybe you just kind of had a shit ton of antibiotics through your life, like myself, I would definitely attribute this to kind of, you know, cultivating more dysbiotic and bad bacteria because we're not compensating. You know, I'd finish antibiotics, you're killing off everything. And then I would probably just go to get more Nutella. you know, in these, these sugars, they're not feeding the good bacteria. We can best believe that. So kind of getting back to where it all began, it came from not only, of course, we're going, we're going after, of course, the actual pregnancy itself. But when the baby is being breastfed, we're looking at human milk oligosaccharides. So HMOs, and they make up one third of about breast milk. And within them, there's just these long chain sugars bound to a single protein. And typically we can call these glycans. And whenever we see glycans, we, can, we see immunity, right? So this is a great kind of step for the child's immunity is through mother's milk. Mm-hmm. So if we look even deeper at what it is, there's certain strains, there's over hundreds, there's hundreds of different strains, but we're actually able to cultivate one right now. And it's called 2 lactose. So this is actually kind of what we're able to supplement. With this, what we see is that it greatly feeds bifidobacteria. And the argument here is that it's not necessarily about lactobacilli. It's not necessarily about different cultures or communities of bacteria. It's really about bifido. If we can feed bifidobacteria, it's going to in turn kind of trickle down and feed the rest. Kind of takes care of everything in turn, right? So we're feeding that kind of master. So there's a ton a ton of good research to support this in terms of its efficacy of feeding bifidobacteria, and what we see is bifidobacteria will in turn actually produce B vitamins, so that's also another reason why kids are just so energetic because they're constantly producing vitamin B you know and as we get older, we're like, oh, just take a b12 injection we'll be okay and you know fortunately, <laughs> if we can actually we can avoid that, we can skip that step altogether by just isolating the bright bacteria in our gut so. One of the biggest things is when I first kind of discovered this, like we're seeing specific strains and and we got to compare the young gut to the old gut. So as we age, bifido levels will start to decline. And as they start to decline, we see a massive correlation to obesity, to neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, of course. We see a massive correlation to just gut issues, cancer, all of these things. Insulin resistance, and it all goes through the door of bacteria. So, if we're looking at like, oh, that classic quote we see that most health coaches will put out is, all disease begins in the gut. And like, how did he know this back then? You know, like, what does it actually mean? And I think that's what we're actually trying to uncover now. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's true. It's true. Everything goes through the door of bacteria because that's where it all begins. And to understand fat loss, to understand immunity, it all begins in the gut. So, getting back to HMO. Before they actually started uh, coming out with direct HMO supplements, I was doing baby formula, so I was buying like all the baby formula that said two FL on it, two fructose lactose, oh. and it actually worked. Like it, it, it worked a lot. I was like, "Damn! Like this works." You can combine that with a reds powder. So what happens with red fruits in general? And if you can have a condensed amount of them, it's going to be low in fiber, which is what you need for an injured and inflamed gut. You want to mm. keep kind of raw fiber content low. So you're going to have a concentration of polyphenols and polyphenols are just color pigments. They're just what kind of keep berries and and fruits and give blackberries and raspberries their black and red pigment. But these polyphenols are known as like prebiotics almost in terms of the way that they can feed bifidobacteria. And they do it by feeding commensal bacteria and it's all these different cross feeding reactions. So you're getting like this really good kind of outcome by just the two alone. And luckily we don't have to do baby formula. Like we can actually just buy HMO directly.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it, like a supplement or like what?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I've actually, I, I use Lair origin. I'm going to plug them for sure because they're, they're, I think the only ones that are actually doing it and doing it properly, but yeah, you can get them in capsule form. You can get them in powder form. You know, they've kind of hopped on that bandwagon in a sense. I think the first ones to do it, but again, they've done a really good job and to get kind of, in the details you know we can explore the research but i would absolutely just say try it you know try them out you'd want to start with a low dose you don't want to go too too high up front because you can kind of get a bit of excess gas and bloating and it's not necessarily a bad thing right gas and bloating are a sign of fermentation so if we're bloating a little bit from hmo this is a good sign it means we have the right bacteria to kind of ferment it but the thing is with these nutraceuticals like these prebiotics is that they make their way undigested down to the colon where they can ferment. And that's where like 70% of the biome exists. That's where Bifidobacteria is. Bifidobacteria is a colon dweller, right? So, like, resides in the colon. So, kind of getting back to, I'm jumping all over the place, but when we are kids, and the way to keep the baby safe is through HMOs. And one of the biggest reasons is, again, coming back to glycans. So, what they do is, they they're able to bind to various pathogens and viruses like E. coli, for example. I always butcher this word, but H. pylori, I think it is. Yeah. And yeah. (laughs) And uh, even lectins, various classes of lectins as well. Right. So this is why when someone's spouting a low lectin diet or even a low histamine diet, it's not actually true. It's bifidobacteria will easily degrade these things if we have high populations in the gut. Mm. And the same thing goes for fibers and carbohydrates. So a narrative I found myself getting kind of trapped in was the human genome governs digestion. To be honest, it's, it's not true from what we see, like there's three genomes within the body and the next biggest player is the bacterial genome. So I would search for diets to be like, okay, like if here's my mom, she's born in this part of Italy and my dad's born in this part of Canada. And you know, what's that going to say for my genetic makeup? How many carbs should I be eating? And it's just, a long-winded way to kind of avoid what's really true. And when we get back down to it, we digest carbohydrates through the bacterial genome. And what this means is that there's certain enzymes, we have enzymes called glycoside hydrolases. And these glycoside hydrolases, they break down carbs in their fibers. That's what digests them. That's how we digest them in general. The human genome encodes about, I think 17, up to 17 roughly. In one single species of bifidobacteria, it encodes up to 57 of them. Wow. So from what we're seeing in each species of bifido has their yeah. own different kind of makeup in terms of how they digest carbs. So again, like kind of getting back to it, if we can repopulate bifidobacteria correctly, then we're actually you know, going to in turn digest foods again. And we can retrain our body to digest things like gluten and dairy for lactose intolerance or gluten intolerance. If you have trouble digesting like raw broccoli and cauliflower, garlic and onions. These are signs that you typically might have a problem with bacteria in, you know, producing butyrate and so forth.
0: So you've tried this, you do this and, and, and have you noticed, like, obviously just pulling it right back to weight loss. Like, do you notice that this is something that like directly impacts your weight? And if it does, like, do, what are we talking like three months to see a change? Like, what do you think here?
1: That's a really good question. And it definitely highly depends on each individual for the most part. Yeah, I think when I first started doing, I first started with the baby formula back, I think when COVID first started, that's when I first kind of started experimenting with it. So it was about early 2020. And once Slayer Origin came about, I started seeing like these different things like, oh, like they're actually like isolating it. They're making it. So I started buying a lot of their supplements, I think late 2020. And I've been using it ever since. Like you, you, there's some people who use them every day. I like to kind of use them in bursts, like if, you know, you're trying to like get back some good bacteria or you do it for a few weeks, every few months as like a seasonal kind of cleanse almost. And there's a whole gut reset protocol that we kind of have posted on our page too for it. But in terms of how fast you see it, you'll notice a difference within like two, three days. Like you'll start to notice brain fog dissipate. You'll start to notice frequent bowel movements in terms of weight loss again this is like highly dependent not only just on mindset of course because like we can always have that nocebo factor playing in our brain but in yeah. terms of like what we can kind of see with weight loss like you start to notice it's easier to keep the weight off i don't have any definitive numbers because i personally have never used my scale it sits there <laughs> probably no batteries in it i kind of got rid of that in general after my fat days yeah, so that's a really good question. I would say it's good to kind of experiment with it. But from what we note and why this works so well with, with weight loss is because you see people living in the blue zones and people living past 100. Not only do, of course, they have genetic SNPs in their brain to kind of help with oxidation of, of free fatty acids and omega 3 fats and stuff, but they have the highest populations of Bifidobacteria animalis, Bifidobacteria adolescentis, Bifidobacteria longum all of these strains, which are really, really important. And what they do is that we'll see a lot of crosstalk. We'll see a lot of like, they, they activate the family of sirtuin proteins. Bifidobacteria populations will activate AMPK, which is our kind of longevity pathway. Mm-hmm. They will, again, like there's a massive correlation between lack of bifidobacteria and obesity. And there's also an, another major player, which is Acromancia, Acromantia mucinophila. And there's also another one, too, which is, it's called, I think it's fecal bacteria which is definitely number two to acromantia. But if we can focus on feeding these two, what we're doing is that we're contracting the gut mucosal lining. So if you know someone who can eat whatever they want and never gain an ounce, it's most likely because they have highest acromantia populations. They have really high acromantia populations. They probably have some good genes as well and some good genetics, but for the most part, I think a good study would be like, if we were to kill off all the acromantia and Bifido in their body, how quickly they would gain weight
0: because yeah. they're
1: not going to be able to metabolize these things properly.
0: Yeah. I, that was my next question. I was going to say how much, like, you know, you, there, you always see those people, you have those people in your life who's like never gain weight and they eat whatever they want. Like how much of that is genetics? And then how much of, do you think is like related to more to bacteria?
1: That one is, is still something I'm trying to figure out. I would say, to be honest. Yeah. And I see friends who, again, can just eat whatever they want. Like I've, uh, my closest friend, who I love him so much. It's so frustrating to see this guy can eat just cheeseburger after cheeseburger, ice cream cone after ice cream cone, and just be and just be ripped and shredded his whole life, and not have to worry about it. But I definitely don't want any cheat codes, that's for sure. But I would say, from what I've noticed over my time, is that I don't gain weight nearly as easily as once I like from what I once did. And this is more so from being somewhat consistent with it. I think it's really good to kind of start maintaining things through the diet, but again, it all has its order of operations. So what we're doing is we're getting back to kind of what's really true. Bifidobacteria populations, if we can of course ferment it correctly, will start to uh, feed the right bacteria, which produce butyrate. Right. So if we can do that, the short chain fatty acid Mm -hmm. butyrate is, what feeds the colonocytes, the cells that line the colon, right? So now we can start to kind of repair butyrate transport so the colonocytes can uptake butyrate correctly, heal itself. We can heal things like Crohn's, for example. And this is a big thing of how colitis really starts is when we have a lack of this right bacteria. So we're getting through kind of the chain of events here of how things really start. And the colon itself is just so extremely oxidizing, right? Because each part of the body lives in such a different pH that the whole body shouldn't be alkaline nor acidic, but each part should have their equal portion to it, right? So if the colon's strongly oxidizing as well, we need to keep it like an influx of polyphenols, right? And that's a big one too. So we need to kind of keep antioxidants up to kind of balance it out. And if we look at like what feeds Bifido, what feeds good bacteria, it's plants, right? It's plants and their fibers. It's not necessarily mm. meat. Meat will will definitely feed the small intestine, Cause it feeds yeah. differently, but yeah, it's, it's, it's polyphenols. It's, it's things like inulin and, you know, all of these like beta glucans and all these fibers that we can get from like bananas and oats and, you know, raw green vegetables and chickpeas and beans and legumes and all these good things. So if we can't digest those things, it is not the food. That's the problem. It's us and our bacteria. So that's yeah. kind of like the major, major message, mm-hmm. I think.
0: Totally. And I just wanted to, cause you said at one point that, you know, this would be a time where we wouldn't want to have too high fiber. And so can you, do you remember when you said that, can you tell us mm-hmm. why?
1: Yeah. So what happens is that if we have an inflamed gut, if we have an injured gut and we're, we're just kind of adding fire to fire in a sense, like it's not really healing yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, our body's not actually digesting fiber correctly. So what ends up happening is that butyrate transport is impaired. So butyrate, the short chain fatty acid that gets, you know, produced by good bacteria kind of just poops them out, these metabolites, it's not uptaking into the colon correctly. So a lot of fiber is actually going to kind of make things worse. So this is when people you'll start to see go towards keto, like, hey, I can't digest fiber. So I'm doing keto or even the next extreme is carnivore. And again, these things can be very healing in the short term, but in the long term, you know, especially with carnivore, like you see cancer, like a yeah. lot in the research. And it's, it's, it's very scary to see like, hey, I'm not going to eat a piece of broccoli or, you know, a banana for the rest of my life. It's, it's insane to think. Yeah. So what ends up happening is we need to do kind of an order of operation. Operation. So, for example, if we have colitis, carnivore would probably be a good opportunity to feed the small gut to feed with aminos because it feeds off of glutamine and we know glutamine works very synergistically to arginine and tryptophan and glycine so we can even just instead of i'm going to get rid of carnivore altogether i don't like the protocol but if we just supplement these aminos together say at bedtime for a few weeks to a month we're going to start to repair the small intestine a lot lot better During this time, I would say try to limit your fiber intake, try to go towards more high fat, like fatty fish. This is also going to be very healing for the gut too. And it's going to help stimulate, like we said before, adiponectin, it's going to help lower inflammatory signals in the gut. And as we're doing this, this is when I would actually start to kind of introduce the HMO, the red polyphenols, You can even do like an apple peel powder, which I talk about a lot too, to feed acromantia if you want. But sometimes I would kind of avoid that just for the excess fibers. And in this stage, you're starting to proliferate good bacteria, which is in turn going to repair butyrate transport. So if we can get butyrate back to the right ratios and right levels, you're mm-hmm. going to start to feed the colon correctly. You're going to start to kind of get digestion back. And the way to do it is to slowly increase your carbohydrates. So mm-hmm. if you say have trouble digesting bread, like start with very small amounts, like train your body mm-hmm. to redigest it. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of how we'll get back into those raw fibers cuz i think a great test of gut health is if you can eat a ton of raw vegetables and not feel gassy, bloated and feel energized. I think that is a very very good sign of gut health.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. That was so helpful. Yeah, last question and then we'll kind of go into wrap up, but so you mentioned that body fat is not just stored energy. Do you want to talk a little bit about like what else it is? Like i know you mentioned the extra cellular matrix and all that, but like if it's not stored energy, what is
1: it? It's a really, that's, that's also a very good question. It's <laughs> like, it, it is stored energy. So that's the number one thing that it is for sure. Like, like no one's okay. <laughs> uh, saying that it's not, I'm not saying that it's not, but to understand say immunity, to understand all these things, you have to look at what body fat and the gut are kind of governing. Let me back up a little bit. Body fat is a multi-component system and every system has different configurations. So there's say an obese configuration of body fat. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the obese configuration of body fat, it's going to constantly be secreting leptin. And we may think this is a good thing because it's this tidy Mm -hmm. hormone, it's gonna keep us full, Mm -hmm. which it usually should, right? Having a bit of body fat, we're more satiated typically. Mm -hmm. But in the inflamed obese configuration of body fat, it's constantly secreting leptin. So our body stops responding to these signals and we start to form leptin resistance.
0: Yeah.
1: So if we're not responding to it, you know, it kind of gets to that point where we can just eat and eat and eats. And we're like, okay, hey, like I feel like that's when I started questioning, like what's wrong with me? You know, yeah. But there's a exactly. biological sense to it as well. Yeah. So it, it controls leptin. It is a major factor in the renin angiotensin system as well. Interesting. So from what we know, right. It's like, Oh, this controls fluid balance.
0: Mm. And the,
1: the thing with, with that too, is what we know. It's that, it's more in charge of metabolic health and without angiotensin you can't really store and lose fat correctly
0: yeah
1: so with this it's we're seeing that body fat acts as a critical mediator between hormones and we can overly secrete these hormones pretty easily when body fat becomes enlarged and obese and inflamed so what we're actually seeing is we can kind of look this up too it's when body fat is making Uh, Or secreting these hormones and controlling signaling molecules. They're called adipocytokines. So Mm adipocytokines. And these are the things that we're going to kind of mediate kind of inflammation and stuff like that too. So um, yeah, we're we're seeing like even the vasculature in general goes through the door of body fat, like a healthy vasculature and nitric oxide production all goes through that because nitric oxide definitely declines as we age. Body fat ages pretty fast as well. And as body fat ages, we start to accumulate what are called FALCs, uh, FALC, so fat-associated lymphoid beta clusters, which is a mm. mouthful. But your mm. fat starts to accumulate these beta cells, and in these beta cells will start to, to recruit macrophages. And as we mm. know, macrophages, they're, they're good and bad. We have M1 phenotype, which are typically the killers, and we have the M2, which are typically the healers. So what happens is these beta lymphocytes, these beta cells will start to recruit more M1 killers, macrophages and immune cells into the fat mass. And as they're there, they're just going to be producing much, much more inflammation. And you're going to have like a lot of trouble kind of losing body fat and Mm kind of like talking on the basis of macrophages is one of the best ways to steer them is through bifidobacteria production to kind of get that body. Because what happens is bifidobacteria will start to secrete T cells. They'll recruit helper T-cells, which helps us. They'll, they'll produce interleukin-10, which is anti-inflammatory. So kind of getting down to it, like even body fat too, it's like it's the basis of immunity for this reason because mm. you're recruiting different immune cells. And in the normal configuration of body fat has very few M1 macrophages. It has more M2, so it's more anti-inflammatory. You're even seeing like just that whole basis of like even COVID in general, right. Makes us kind of rethink, like it's not just taking vitamin C and vitamin D and zinc and we have a healthy immune system. Like it, it comes down to our body fat and our gut bacteria, because at the end of the day, like if you have bad bacteria in your gut, if it's candida, if it's just dysbiotic bacteria in general, it's going to secrete lipopolysaccharides, So LPS, which is an endotoxin breaks through yeah. the gut lining starts to relocate in, in, in starts to signal macrophages and they relocate in our fat mass causes brain fog. So to reverse all this stuff, to kind of lose body fat correctly, to lose it in a healthy way. And yeah, it all comes down to the gut. So a lot of stuff that body fat is kind of in charge of, and we just kind of see it as stored energy. And I think usually it's, I don't want to Completely bash the calories in, calories out. But again, I think it's kind of getting to what's really true and just ask someone who's done it for 10 to 15 years that it doesn't work anymore. You know, so yeah, I hope that kind of answers the question.
0: Yeah, that was a perfect answer. Uh, if you I, I lied, this will be the last question. If you could give us three, like top three recommendations, something that somebody can do without working with a practitioner, what would you say to do to make sure that we can like lose weight in a healthy way, way and keep it off?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I would say, hmm, I'm to think about this one. Because one of the things is that I would I would definitely be aware of gurus and experts trying to sell you something. That's the biggest <laughs> thing. And okay. I say this because keto fasting and all these things, paleo, they're very good for us in the short term. So for yeah. using them as seasonal approaches, the body mm-hmm. seeks diversity. The more we eat something, the more likely we are to develop an allergy. So right. it's just a great example of like, we need diversity in the diet. Don't get too yeah. fixed on one thing. I would say instead, eat for your microbes as they have had their form well before us. You know, we're, Probably just their vehicle in terms of us feeling good and moving around and stuff. So I think one of the biggest things is even just start off with a combination of HMO, uh, some red phenol powders, and I can always send this stuff. I'll will send everything to you so you can always relay yeah, yeah. it as well. Um, yeah. And you can even throw in an apple peel powder. I say apple peel powder. You can just peel apples itself because apples are the peels. I'll, I'll just say briefly is that they're one of the best ways to feed acromantia. There are other ways you can do it with like cordyceps and pure tea, like that Chinese fermented tea and stuff. Um, but taking this with breakfast, try that out and slowly increase over the course of a month. Like take a little bit with breakfast and then fully scale. And again, I'll send you all a kind of like protocol and so forth. But that is one of the biggest things. I can't even stress that enough because if you if you don't believe me, just Just try it out. You know, I'm not look for like credit or anything like that because it's not my research in general. It's just kind of one of things that I've actually tried and done. But yeah, I would say that is going to be one of the biggest. And then, lastly, again, just eat towards your microbes. Eat for your microbes. Like all plant foods are going to be good. You know, it's never demonize fruits. You know, we can easily kind of get into the baby talk of saying bananas are bad and avocados are good. It's all has its time and place, and definitely the order in which we eat our foods too. So, you know, if we're having a pizza, we'll maybe have some fibers and good, healthy fats beforehand so we can actually start to increase insulin sensitivity and regulate blood sugar properly. So,
0: yeah. Okay. Well, Brandon, that was extremely informative. I loved that. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> if you don't mind just telling everybody where we can find you, if you want to plug your Instagram, etc.
1: Thanks so much Jordana. It's great seeing your face and I love your energy, your positivity. You're absolutely killing it. You know, you have a family and you're still making time for all of these things, which me and Rachel are definitely amazed at, but yeah, you can, we're the nutritional paradigm on Instagram and nutritionalparadigm.com is our website.
0: Perfect. And I will put yeah. everything in the show notes, guys, I promise. So anyways, I would actually like to have you back at one point, because I'm sure we could just talk forever. I yeah, it's unfortunate that we only have an hour today. But keep killing it. Keep working, keep researching. And I will pick your brain sometime very soon, Brandon. Okay.
1: I think the same goes in reverse, too. I have a lot of questions for you as well. So <laughs> which I'm sorry, I just talked to the whole thing. But yeah,
0: no, no, that was perfect. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Okay, guys, I'll see you on another episode of the Head to Heal podcast. Bye.